Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious gift you have given us, that we have the words of eternal life before us. Lord, we thank you that you have preserved your word down through the ages. Lord, we ask for your blessing uh, this morning as we look at it together. Lord, we pray that you may indeed breathe new life into our bones through this word. Lord, we pray that we may carefully examine the matters that are contained within. And Lord, we pray that we may indeed be able to trust in Jesus Christ all the more fully as a result of looking at your word together this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in my household, I hate it when things go missing. I'm someone that doesn't like to waste time. Every moment of the day is generally accounted for in some way. And I really do not like wandering around the house looking for things. So I now have a very specific spot in the house for my keys. So I no longer waste any time wandering around looking for keys. Shoes are another matter. Shoes are difficult because, of course, you can take your shoes off at the front door or the back door. And so sometimes you forget whether you did it at the front door or the back door. And then there's two different shoe racks as well. And sometimes somebody else in the house likes to clean up and put my shoes away for me, which is very kind of that person, but kind of awkward because then I don't know which shoe rack they have ended up in. Shoes are another matter. But the worst thing that goes missing in our household, for me, that is the biggest annoyance, is, of course, teddy bears. Uh, my daughter still has a particular uh, teddy bear that's called Pinky Bear and this is very difficult for me because I find myself wasting time looking for this Pinky Bear because really the Pinky Bear could show up at any point in the house. It can be with the child for a certain amount of time and then it can be dropped anywhere. Not necessarily at the front door, back door like shoes are, but anywhere in the household the Pinky Bear could be left behind. And then the pinky bear is actually of a crucial importance to that member of the household, uh, to my daughter, and she cannot, absolutely cannot, go to bed without the pinky bear. So each night, and even with it for nap times when she does have a nap, there becomes this whole investigation that goes on throughout the house as to where the pinky bear has gotten to. And I just cannot say, okay, from now on we're going to, when we bring the pinky bear downstairs, we always have it in our arms or in this place. I just cannot pull that off. So for now, while the pinky bear is still the love of Philippa's life, uh, we have to deal with this investigation that has to take place every time she goes for a nap as to where the pinky bear is because pinky bear often goes missing. This morning we also have to look at something that has gone missing. We're looking at Luke chapter 24, which is in your Black Church Bibles on page 1047, and we're looking at something that has gone missing. What has gone missing in Luke chapter 24? Well, it's the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the New Testament gives us a number of points of evidence that the body went missing because Jesus came back to life. On Good Friday, we spent some time looking at how Jesus died. And then he was put in a tomb and then his body went missing and point after point is given to us in the scriptures as to what happened to Jesus and that point is that Jesus Christ was indeed raised to life. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. What is the evidence that Jesus did indeed come back to life, that he was raised to life? And so my first main point this morning is that the empty tomb is evidence of Christ's resurrection. 
If you want to follow my main points, they're listed on the back of the church bulletin. Just flip it over to the back and you can see my main points there. And the first is that the empty tomb is evidence of Christ's resurrection. In verse 1, we firstly see, uh, in verse 2, we, verse 1 and verse 2 of Luke chapter 24, we see that the tomb is empty for a number of reasons. The first is that the stone was rolled away. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 24 reads, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. This is the first clue that Jesus is no longer inside the tomb and that he has been raised. If you come home and you find the front door open or a window that usually is uh, shut or uh, has glass in it and you come home and find that the glass is broken, that's your first clue that something inside your house is no longer going to be there. Usually your television set and your amplifier may be gone or your computer. If you come home and find a door wide open when there shouldn't be a door wide open, that's your first clue that something has gone missing. And that's the case here as well. The, the tomb was sealed with this stone, a very large stone. And if Jesus was still inside, then the stone should have been still in front of the entrance. But instead these women come and they find that the stone has been rolled away. That's their first clue. Then they stick their heads in and they find that the body is not inside as well. Verse 2 we read, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but then when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. It wasn't as though they just stood outside and went, Oh, I wonder if he's in there or if he's not in there. No, these women look inside and they do not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now you may say, okay, well, he may have still been in there and they just didn't look very hard. One of my aunts has this saying that she says when you go to look for something, she says, did you have a boy look or a girl look? A boy look means that it was a cursory glance across the area where the thing is meant to be. A girl look is when a woman generally goes and investigates the matter a bit more fully. And that's what we have to ask this morning. Did they have a boy look or did they have a girl look inside the tomb? They say that the tomb is empty. How do we know that Jesus' body wasn't actually in there? Well, there's a few reasons why we can say they had a girl look. Firstly, these are girls. And so it's women that are the first ones to come upon the tomb and to find that it is empty. So we would say that generally speaking, women would have a girl look. Other clues? Well, one of the other points is that this is actually a new tomb. Verse 53, if we, we didn't read it this morning yet, but verse, uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 53, so just go back a few verses from chapter 24, it says that then he took it down, that's the body of Jesus, wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. This is a new tomb and nobody had ever been put in there before, which means that it's going to be pretty obvious if Jesus is not there. Because it's not as though they went, ah, oh, yes, he was over there and he's not now, but all along he was actually the body that's on the left-hand side, not the right-hand side of the tomb. There was, there, there was no one in the tomb. It couldn't be confused, like when I sometimes think the pinky bear is in the bed, but all along it's just another teddy bear that's there in the bed. No, there was nothing else there in the tomb. So, of course, the girls are going to have a girl look and not a boy look very easily because there's nothing else in the tomb. There's no other body to confuse them. And we also know that they had a girl look by the fact that they actually went inside the tomb. 
We see that in verse 3. It says, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, sometimes when I'm looking for something that's missing, I do have a boy look, and that means that I think I have a look in a room, but I don't actually enter the room. Sometimes Pinky Bear gets left in the bathroom. We have a fairly large bathroom, and you poke your head in. Is it there? No, and you move on to the next place, when really it was hiding behind the bath. If only that Pinky Bear would be better behaved. And, and you just, if I went inside the bathroom, I would find that the bear is there all along, if I had a girl look. These girls, they go inside the tomb. They don't just stick their heads into the tomb. They actually go in. And this is quite remarkable given that it is a tomb and people are scared and the stones rolled away. There's lots of reasons for them to stay outside the tomb. How many people actually like going into graveyards? How many people like going into tombs within graveyards? It's not a pleasant experience. But we see here that these girls these women, they go right inside the tomb to see if Jesus' body is there. We also find that these these witnesses, these early witnesses, don't just not find the body in there. They do note that there's other things in the tomb. There's no other bodies in the tomb, but they do see that there's other things there. And we see that with Peter in verse 12. Peter, it says in verse 12, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. He, he's looked around inside the tomb, and he's seen that there's other objects there, and he reports those. That's the cloths that Jesus' body was wrapped up in. And he recognizes that they're there, but the body of Jesus isn't. It wasn't like they said there was just nothing there. He makes a point that the cloths were actually there, but... The body was missing. And so we can see here that this is a real girl look for Jesus' body. These people have made a a thorough investigation as to whether Jesus is inside. And we can't attribute it to just imagination because that they were having some sort of uh, illusion put up before them because it's multiple people that are witnessing that Jesus' body is missing. Even their names are given. Sometimes people put forward uh, that something remarkable has happened, but they don't give their names. This happens at different points in, in history as to something remarkable is there and people hide their names for fear of persecution, for putting something so remarkable forward. But here we see that the women's names are actually given. It was multiple women who saw that Jesus' body was gone and their names are given in verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the disciples. And so what is being said here is that these people are still alive, well, some of them may be, and you can actually go and ask them about this matter, that the body was missing there on that resurrection day. And, of course, Peter is another person that is listed in verse 12 as going to the tomb. This isn't their imaginations running wild. This is multiple people to have some sort of delusion possible as an individual. But for multiple people to have the same delusion is impossible. These people really did investigate the matter. And so we see that the empty tomb is indeed evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead. If his body was still in the tomb, well then of course he's not raised from the dead. If his body is missing, then he may indeed be raised from the dead. So the empty tomb is evidence of Christ's resurrection. What else can point us in the right direction to know whether Jesus is indeed raised to life? Well, that brings me to my second main point. The angels are evidence of Christ's resurrection. The angels are evidence of Christ's resurrection. 
And so we see these angels show up in verse 4. It says, While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Now, if you're looking for something and someone can tell you what has happened to that item, that is very important information. When I'm looking for the pinky bear around the house, sometimes I'll ask Joshua, have you seen the pinky bear? Have you seen and where it was removed to last? That's very important information and I will go with any information that I can get from Joshua that will speed up the process of trying to find that valuable teddy bear. And here we have someone showing up and saying, yes, the tomb is empty and that is because I know what has happened to the body. And that is that Jesus Christ has indeed been raised. These two angels come along and they give further evidence that Jesus has come back to life, that his body is missing because Jesus has been raised. They ask them, why do you look for the living among the dead in verse 5? And then he is not here, he is risen. And once again we've got to say, well, could these girls be imagining this? Well, we have to remember that it's girls, it's women, plural, that are meeting these angels. And so for them to hallucinate angels as a collective is impossible. If it was just one, we might have some doubt. But we've got multiple women there witnessing these two angels telling them what has happened to Jesus' body. So we see there's an empty tomb which points us that Jesus has indeed been raised to life. We see that there's witnesses, these angels, tell us that Jesus has been raised to life. What else is evidence of Christ's resurrection? Well, that brings me to my third main point. Christ's prophecies are evidence of Christ's resurrection. Christ's prophecies are evidence of Christ's resurrection. If something goes missing in our house and someone says, oh, I was, I, I know what's happened to it. I was all along going to take that. If they tell you in advance beforehand that I'm going to take the pinky bear from another point in the place to another place in the house, well, you then take that into consideration when you go looking for that pinky bear later on. If they say, oh, I'm going to take it from the bathroom to the bedroom, then I know that it's best to look in the bathroom and over the bedroom. I get confused. Too many locations for this pinky bear. Here we have someone said prior to Jesus' body going missing, what would happen to it? Who said things about what would happen to Jesus' body? It was Jesus himself. He prophesied prior to the event and told people, I'm going to die, but three days later I'm going to come back to life. And he says that in Luke chapter 9, verse 22. It says, And he said, Jesus, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He predicted in advance that at this point in the future, I am going to be raised to life, which means my body won't be in the tomb any longer. And the women remember these words. Verse 8 it says, Then they remembered his words, that he had prophesied that this would happen. And so then it makes sense that his body isn't there. This is another point of evidence that Jesus Christ has indeed come back to life. The prophecy adds, 
wait to the argument that Jesus has been raised from the dead. What else is evidence of the resurrection of the dead? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point. The unbelief of the early Christians is evidence of Christ's resurrection. The unbelief of the early Christians is evidence of Christ's resurrection. We see again and again in just this one passage that the early Christians were not easily convinced that Jesus came back to life. First reason is that we see in just verse 1 that these women go not to find Jesus' body on that resurrection day. They go to find a body, and not to find him alive, but they go to find a body there. Verse 1 it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They took spices that were meant to preserve the body. They weren't going, okay, it's the third day, let's get down there and see Jesus raised to life. No, they went to treat a dead body. They were expecting to find a dead body that day. They were not easily convinced. They had the frame of mind that we're going to see a dead body. They also wonder about this matter when they get to verse 4. It says, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. They wondered about it. They didn't jump to the idea that Jesus was raised when they didn't find the body. They didn't go, oh, yeah, he's, he's risen. No, they wondered about it. The Greek word that's translated wondered in now NIV, Bibles, means to be in a confused state of mind, to be at a loss, to be in doubt, to be uncertain. They were uncertain as to what was going on. They weren't easily convinced that Jesus was raised to life. They'd also forgotten about his prophecy about his resurrection. In verse 8 we see there, then they remembered his words. The angels had to point out to them again, remember what he said. They'd forgotten all about what Jesus had said, that he would come back to life after he was crucified. Then we see that the apostles and the rest of the disciples did not believe the women when they came back with the message that they had about the empty tomb and also that they would met these angels. We read in verse uh, nine that they come back from the tomb. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. It says specifically there, verse eleven. They did not believe. They did not believe. They did not have faith. They did not trust the women's words about the resurrection of Christ. Why? Well, the rest of verse 11 tells us, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They didn't believe because what the women were saying was nonsense to them. How else could that word that's been translated nonsense be translated? It can mean totally devoid of anything worthwhile. Totally devoid of anything worthwhile. The women were talking about something that's like, this, this means nothing to me. It's not worthwhile listening to these women as they yammer on about the resurrection. Or another way to translate it would be idle talk or humbug. We don't really use that word anymore, humbug, but the lexicon, the Greek lexicon gave that as a, a definition of this uh, Greek word, that it's humbug, that it's just totally useless. Bar humbug. What are they talking about? Let's not listen to them any longer. And Peter also wondered 
what had happened even when he saw the empty tomb. Verse 12, it says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. He doesn't go away believing that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. He's had the women report that there was an empty tomb. He's heard that angels told them that he is risen. And then Peter sees the empty tomb himself and doesn't believe. He wonders what has happened. Another way you can translate that word wonder there for Peter is marveled or he's astonished. So he's definitely surprised by what he's seeing. But he's not believing that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. But how then is this a point of evidence that Jesus Christ has indeed come back to life? How is the scepticism of the early disciples evidence that Jesus is raised to life? Well, it shows that the disciples aren't jumping to conclusions. It shows that they didn't get this little bit of information and then they just went, oh yeah, that then means that Jesus is raised to life, like we do with so many things. We can get a little bit of evidence and because we've got a bias to believing something in particular, we then run with it, even though we don't have much evidence for it at all. And so here we see that the disciples are resistant to the idea that Jesus was raised to life, which means they carefully investigated the matter and they must have seen very compelling evidence that led them to eventually believe. Because we know as we read more of the Bible, more of the New Testament, that these disciples went from being skeptics to martyrs, to being ready to die for the truths contained in the Bible, that Jesus has indeed been raised to life. And what is the great evidence that they eventually saw? Well, of course, they saw Jesus himself. He appeared to them, raised to life. It wasn't just that they worked with just an empty tomb and some words from an angel and a prophecy. No, they actually saw Jesus raised to life. And so we see that this scepticism of the early disciples demonstrates that this is true. They didn't jump to conclusions. They must have seen something very compelling. And so we should indeed take this into consideration as we consider the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. So we see that there was an empty tomb. We see the witness of the angels. We see Christ's prophecies. And we see the scepticism of the early disciples all give us good evidence that Jesus is indeed raised to life. But what are you to do with that evidence? What are you to do? Well, that brings me to my fifth main point. Believe the evidence of Christ's resurrection. Believe the evidence of Christ's resurrection. You can do two things this Easter, basically. Now that you've walked into our church, you can do two things. You can be like the disciples and think that these words seem like nonsense. You can say, bah humbug, Joel, and everybody else in this building. This seems like nonsense. And there are many people that I know personally, family and friends, who do say nonsense. And it is a ridiculous idea. I haven't met anyone raised to life. I haven't seen anyone die and then come back to life. It is a ridiculous notion. It is not easy to accept and it does appear to be nonsense. And you can be like those early disciples who heard these women who had had a girl look at the tomb, hear them and say, I'm not believing, that is nonsense. Or you can be like Peter 
What did Peter do? He heard the words and then he got up and he carefully investigated. We see that in verse 12. Peter, however, however, but got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. He heard this report and then he started to investigate and he goes on investigating and he eventually comes to faith in Christ. And although I know many people who have said what is said in the Bible about the resurrection is nonsense, I have friends and family who do say that it is nonsense. I have friends and family who say it is true that the evidence here is compelling. And I have investigated the matter myself, and I continue to study the Bible week by week under the amazing privilege that people pay me to study God's Word. It is a wonderful thing. And the more I study it, the more I am convinced that this is indeed true and not nonsense. It makes sense. There is no good reason to doubt the reliability of these reports in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is indeed raised to life. So which will it be for you? Will you believe the reports from the New Testament that Jesus Christ has indeed been raised to life or will you continue in unbelief? You may say, why bother? Why do I have to make a decision whether I believe or don't believe that Jesus Christ is raised to life? Well, what's at stake is nothing short than eternal life. If you want to be raised to life, then you must have your sins dealt with by Jesus Christ and be raised by his power, as we saw in that passage in Ezekiel 37 in the Old Testament, that God breathes life into this valley of dry bones and they come to life. That is how we will come to life too, is by God breathing into you. And that has to happen as you trust in Jesus Christ. Because that's what Easter is all about, is about bringing life to God's people. Because their sins are paid for by Jesus Christ. It's interesting the way that the crucifixion is described in verse 6 by the angels. And in verse 7 it says, He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must or it is necessary, the Son of Man, to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. It was necessary. If you want to come back to life, then it was necessary for Jesus to be crucified. Why? Because at the cross, your sin is put upon his shoulders, and he takes a punishment that you deserve so that you can go free. So this is not something that we can just push to one side easily and say, it's not really that important whether I believe or don't believe. No, it is a matter of eternal life. And so I ask you this morning, are you going to believe the words contained in this book? Or are you going to consider it as nonsense? Are you going to have a boy look at the words contained in this Bible? Or are you going to have a girl look? Are you going to carefully investigate the matter? Or are you going to brush it to one side and not consider it? Be careful what you do. Because eternal life is at stake. If you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that he suffered on your behalf, then you have eternal life here and now. When you die, it's like going through a door into heaven. That's what's at stake. And so I encourage you to do that. And if you are a Christian and you already believe in the resurrection, show that you believe in the resurrection by telling others 
And don't be surprised if telling other people about it seems like nonsense to those people. That's what happened in the first century. People did not believe easily in the first century where there was lots of evidence around that Christ was indeed raised. So it shouldn't surprise you that when you come along like the women did to the apostles who had lots of reasons to believe that Jesus Christ was raised and you come along to someone who doesn't even believe that there is a God and you tell them about the resurrection of the dead that it's not surprising that they would say, nonsense, I don't believe you. We shouldn't back down. We shouldn't be scared of other people thinking we're talking about nonsense. Why? Because sometimes you tell someone and they act like Peter. They get up, they go, and they investigate. And when that happens, it's the beginning of a path often to eternal life for that person. And so what is gained? Eternal life for that person. What do you lose? Well, you lose a bit of face every time you tell other people and they think that you're talking about nonsense, that you're an idiot for what you are talking about. But that's all you're losing, a little bit of face in this world in comparison to someone actually becoming a Christian and living forever. Wouldn't it be better for people to think you're talking about nonsense with the hope that you're actually going to save some people from eternity or punishment in hell for their sins? It's worth looking like you're talking about nonsense on occasion if it saves people from that and gives them eternal life. So if you're a Christian, continue to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and tell others, despite the unbelief, despite the bar humbugs you get from others, tell them because you never know who's going to be like a Peter and get up and run to the tomb and investigate the matter for themselves. Let's come before our God now. Let us speak to him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for how it tells us that Jesus Christ came into the world, that he lived amongst us, that he was crucified, but also that he was raised to life. We thank you for the compelling evidence contained in the Bible that Jesus Christ is indeed raised from the dead and that we too can be raised if we'll just believe in him. Lord, we pray that we may do so. And we pray that for those of us who do believe that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, we pray that we may tell others even though they may not believe and our words may seem like nonsense to them, we pray that we may not fear man and their opinion of us, but may we know that eternal life is at stake. And so may we share and share and share again the good news of Jesus Christ in that hope that you will indeed save some as a result of us speaking what seems like nonsense. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.